Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to episode 14 of the Pencast. Today on Tuesday, June 20th, 2023, we are just a week and a day from the start of the 2023 NHL entry draft, and we're just 10, 11 days, I think, from free agency starting, so... We're in the thick of it right now. We are currently in the NHL's buyout window, and we've seen some movement there that we're going to get into here shortly. But the biggest thing to happen since the last episode was the Vegas Golden Knights winning their first franchise Stanley Cup. They defeated the Florida Panthers in five games. Game five was a bit of a rout where Vegas would go on to score nine goals, including a Mark Stone hat trick and just completely decimate the Florida Panthers. The Florida Panthers at times looked like they were kind of in the game, giving it a little bit of effort, but at the end it was very much a Vegas Golden Knight game uh, through and through. I feel very bad for Sergei Bobrovsky. He gave it at all. And Matthew Kachuk was unable to play that game due to some upper body injury. There were conflicting things that head coach Paul Maurice mentioned. He said broken sternum. There was a mention of an SI joint. Um, so somewhere upper body, somewhere above the, uh, you know, the, uh, it's an upper body injury, you know, to, for hockey terms. But he was hurt enough. He was unable to play. Anyone who follows hockey or has followed Matthew Kachuk at all knows that if it was a playable injury, even if it was like a borderline playable injury, he would have played. That guy's tough as nails. He's as tough as they come, especially amongst the younger generation of hockey players. He's probably the toughest, and it was just impossible. It was not uh, in cards for him. There was reports that Brady Kachuk had to help him get ready for game four. So I'm assuming the injury happened somewhere in game three, and it was just not going to be possible for him to lace him up and uh, you know play the game and it was probably a threat to, honestly, his uh, general health and uh, well-being. But if he tried to play more than just pain, he could have really hurt himself for a long time. So 
Um, he made the right decision, but unfortunately for the Florida Panthers, that was it. And now they go home back to South Florida, along with the Miami Heat, who also lost to a uh, Western Conference team in the championship. The Denver Nuggets defeated the Miami Heat, and the Vegas Golden Knights defeated the Florida Panthers. Now, the Vegas Golden Knights winning the Stanley Cup means a few things. One is that Phil Kessel is now a three-time Stanley Cup champion. Now, the Golden Knights winning that meant that him, Alec Martinez, and Jonathan Quick all joined the three times uh, champion you know, list. Uh, they joined the likes of Pat Maroon, which is kind of interesting, Sidney Crosby, excuse me, Marc-Andre Fleury, Chris Letang, Evgeny Malkin, Patrick Kane, and Jonathan Taze. Those are the 10 active players. Oh, excuse me. With three Stanley Cups. Uh, pretty exclusive list there. And I think even more interesting given the fact that um, Kessel obviously was, you know, he was portrayed to not be able to be a winner whenever he was in Toronto. And obviously that is, you know, that's been debunked. His back-to-back, he was a huge contributor with for the Penguins. Uh, he made a lot of hockey fans in Pittsburgh that maybe beforehand weren't. I think uh, he was a very unique, interesting player, personality, a lot of mysteri- you know, mysteriousness around him. He had his faults, you know, both on and off the ice. Uh, nothing, you know, no, nothing criminal or anything. But he definitely, you know, some, you know, people calling him out for effort and things like that. They, uh, there was definitely some fairness to those reports and, uh, you know, those mentions. But no one can take away the fact he was a, he's a three-time Stanley Cup champion now. And there was a quote that came out, I believe, from Mikey Stevens, who was follow, who was at the game where Vegas clinched the the, uh, the cup. And on the ice, uh, Castle said something along the lines of, you know, you guys, referring to the media, said I couldn't win, I couldn't do it. Now look at me, I'm a three-time champion. Remember that. Something along the lines of that. Uh, you know, and good for him. He has all the right to talk his, you know, shit. And he became a Stanley Cup champion for it. So good stuff for him. He didn't contribute as much this time around with the Vegas Golden Knights. He did not play. Uh, I don't think he played any of the playoffs other than the first round. I think he played a game or two. But he played enough in the regular season, all 82 games, to keep the Ironman streak alive. But he's also going to get a ring. He's going to get his name on the cup. He is, as much as anybody, a three-time Stanley Cup champion. Uh, congrats to him, obviously. Alec Martinez, who got the overtime winning goal back in uh, LA's Cup. He won two with LA and then obviously won this one as well. So he is a three-time Stanley Cup champion defender and not a superstar. You know, if you look at the list of guys who've won three three cups, most of them are stars. I'd say other than Pat Maroon. Um, Kessel, even at his peak, was 100% a star. Jonathan Quick was a star goalie at his peak. Alec Martinez was never a star. He was very much like a second pair defense uh, defenseman. But he is a three-time Stanley Cup champion now, too. Uh, he's, he's more on par with Pat Maroon than I'd say the rest of the list. But nonetheless, three-time Stanley Cup champion. That's awesome. And Jonathan Quick, who was brought over at the deadline after LA traded him to Columbus for Corpusalo Gavrikov. Um, and obviously, Columbus wanted to do right by him to send him to a comp- a uh, you know, a competitor, uh, someone that can, 
that a contender. That's the word I'm looking for, a contender. And they did. They sent him to the team that inevitably won the Stanley Cup. And he, like Martinez, won the 2012 and 14 Cups with L.A., and then would go on to win this 2023 Cup with Vegas. And uh, yeah, Maroon won three in a row, 19, 20, and 21. Pretty crazy, but obviously Crosby, Mulkin, Fleury, Latang won 09, 16, 17. And then Kane and Taze won the three um, with the Blackhawks in 2010, 13, and 15. So yeah, the Vegas Golden Knights won it all. Kessel won it all. And um, I saw on a Instagram comment that Jack Eichel may have tongue-in-cheek confirmed it, but it may be serious. Uh, someone asked if Phil, uh, on Jack's post, someone asked if Phil Kessel had eaten hot dogs out of the cup yet since they, they won, because obviously that famous picture uh, of him golfing with the cup and hot dogs in it after they won the cup, or the Penguins won the cup, that was obviously a big thing. Stemming from the story in Toronto that Kessel would go to the same hot dog stand every day back uh, whenever, obviously, he was a Maple Leaf. Um, and Eichel confirmed it. Eichel was like, oh, yeah, yep, he's definitely eating hot dogs out of the cup again. So just a little, you know, funny. Uh, even if it's not true, it's just funny that Eichel even said that. But those guys in Vegas, they were having a party. William Carlson, Jonathan Marcheseau, you know, Aiden Hill, all the guys who were at that parade, uh, they all were drunk out of their minds they were shirtless they were running up and down the strip uh you know just enjoying themselves some of them i, I forget who it was someone was sho- was shoeless at one point which as someone who's been to vegas their fair amount of times would not recommend running up and down the strip in no shoes but i guess when you're Stanley Cup champion you can do whatever you want who cares do what you got to do and another guy who is now a Stanley Cup champion is Theodore Bluger, Teddy Bluger, the former Penguin who was dealt to Vegas at the trade deadline by Ron Hextall, is now a Stanley Cup champion. He becomes the second Latvian player to win the Stanley Cup. Um, I'm going to try to pronounce the name of the guy who was the first, but please, please bear with me because... Uh, you know, it's a tough uh, name. The Latvia names, the Baltic names are not the easiest. Let me see here. Uh, but, but Sandus Ozolins in 1996 was the first Latvian player to win a Stanley Cup. And it seems as though um, Teddy Bluger is the second. So, and Latvia is uh, improving on the world stage for hockey. It's becoming a real, uh, it's becoming a, a contender. It's obviously not on the ranks of Canada, US, Sweden, Russia, Finland, but it's, it's going to get there. Uh, a lot of the European countries that are more low key uh, in the hockey scene are getting better over the previous years. Germany, I think the um, rise of Leon Dreisaitl, Tim Stutzla, players like that. It's definitely getting bigger in Germany. I think in Czechia, it's obviously been big bef- before, you know, in, uh, well, with Jager, but I think it's growing there uh, more as well. Slovakia last year with, uh, you know, two of the top picks being Slovakian, that obviously is going to help grow the game there. And that's what we want as hockey fans, right? We want to grow the game. We want to bring as many people to play the game and be fans of the game as possible. Bring, make, you know, more people that play the game the more skill will be in the game, the funner it will be for fans. And obviously, the more people that are playing over there, the more people are going to watch hockey over there, 
and inevitably we're gonna have we're gonna be better for it. We want more fans. We want more people from different areas and backgrounds playing and watching hockey. Makes it more fun for everybody. So, congrats to Bluger on being the second Latvian player to ever win the Stanley Cup. Obviously, he uh, spent he was drafted and developed here in Pittsburgh and was a basically their go-to fourth-line center for uh, the past few seasons. And obviously would go on and not play the entire playoff with Vegas, but he uh, he did play a good bit. He did not qualify for games played in order to get his name on the cup. So I'm curious to see if he'll be able to. Teams are able to petition to have you know players put on the cup. Like I mentioned, Kessel gets it because he played all 82 regular season games, but there's also a uh, stipulation for postseason games that needs to be met. Bluger did not play all 82 games. Obviously, he was traded at the deadline, so he played probably around 20 in the regular season, if that, for Vegas, and he only played a handful of playoff games. So he does not qualify technically, but we'll see if he can sneak his way in on the uh cup but either way that doesn't take away the fact he's going to get a ring and it will forever say on his hockey db his wikipedia hockey reference that teddy beluger was the it was a 2023 stanley cup champion and good for him um so yeah that's about everything we got there for the golden knights uh, stanley cup i wrote an article on pro sports fans uh pro sports fanatics uh whatever you want to call it they're in a bit of a rebrand right now that i'm going to post uh with my with the with this podcast i'm going to post it on instagram and twitter the links uh i wrote a po- a arid article called what the penguins can learn from the golden knights championship i went pretty in depth there I'll hit the key points here for you, but it's a very good article. I really am proud of it. So if you want to go give it a read and support me, I'd appreciate it. I basically came up with three points and went in on what what the Penguins could learn from this championship run that the Golden Knights went on. The first one is that when elite talent becomes available, go after it relentlessly. The Golden Knights were notorious for being heartless and doing the logical decision to go after these great players instead of sticking with the emotional one of keeping around your fan favorites. They traded in Nate Schmidt, Alex Tuck, Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, and they got back Mark Stone, Alex Petrangelo, Max Pacioretty, Jack Eichel. So obviously they messed with the heartstrings of their fans, but inevitably they got to uh, shake it off a little bit at the parade and it was worth the while. Second point was... In the Stanley Cup playoffs, size matters. That's a little tongue-in-cheek there. But if you watched these finals specifically, but honestly, any of the playoff series uh, from the first to the fourth rounds, the Stanley Cup playoffs are physical, and they are downright nasty. And the Penguins don't have that. The Penguins very much are uh, a vulnerable team when it comes to physicality. The, The best guys on the team are the ones who have to put up with the physicalness of what happens with, uh, you know, just low blows after the whistle, you know, uh, you know, cross checks and whatnot. They need to be a little bigger. They need to be a little tougher. The Vegas Golden Knights had one player that was under six foot tall on their roster for game five of the Stanley Cup final. And that player won the Conn Smythe because of how much the other guys were able to open up room for him and, you know, make sure he doesn't get messed with. That was Jonathan Marcheseau, obviously. The third point I made was, if you're smart enough, the salary cap can be a non-factor. 
I got, I went through with the uh, three biggest examples of the LTIR being used in order to win Stanley Cups. Back in the 14-15 season, the Blackhawks did it with Patrick Kane in order to in order to acquire Antoine Vermette. In the 2021 season, Tampa Bay notoriously used it by going 98 million dollars instead of the 81.5 million cap ceiling. Um, they put Nikita Kucherov on, among other other players, and they were able to win a cup out of it. And then this year, uh, Vegas Golden Knights had Shea, uh, Shea Weber on LTIR. That was strictly to go over the cap. Uh, obviously, they also had Robin Leonard and Nolan Patrick on the LTIR. That wasn't, I don't think, as much cap circumvention as it was just those guys were injured and couldn't play at all this year. But their uh, budget ended up being $96 million in cap spent, which was over $14 million over um, the limit. So basically, if and, and I'm, what I'm trying to say there is if you're not cheating, you're not trying. It hasn't been punished yet, and um, there's a lot of smart pl- People that are either in this Penguins front office or are going to be in the front office, starting with Kyle Dubas, you know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, so go for it. Um, and that's basically what I said were the three things the Penguins could learn from this cup run that the Golden Knights just made and uh, what I hope, you know, Kyle Dubas is taking notes on. Uh, but yeah, please go read that on uh, Pro Sports Fanatics web is the website, and you can find my stuff in the NHL page. I have a bunch of articles. I have some more coming up this week about uh, potential free agents. We'll actually get into that in a little bit here. But the first thing non-cup related I want to talk about that happened this week was Oliver Ekman Larson. He was bought out by the Vancouver Canucks. He still had a lot of term left on that deal. And the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, sorry, not the Vegas Golden Knights, that's a slip up. The Vancouver Canucks are going to be left paying for this buyout for a long, long time. And they're doing, they needed to do it because they had no cap space. And they weren't even a good team this year, which is very uh, tough to swallow that you were that close to the cap and you couldn't even ice a good enough team to make the uh, playoffs. Oliver Ekman Larson was drafted bu- 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 in 2009, uh, sixth overall. He was he's obviously from Sweden. He was in, in that 2009 crop of uh, defensemen was incredible, uh, and especially during the early 2010s, uh, that group was phenomenal. Uh, OEL was a part of it. Drew Doughty was a part of it. And the best of them all was Eric Carlson, all drafted in the same draft. I think all first round as well. Oliver Ekman Larson was a longtime Arizona Coyote. He was the captain of the Coyotes for his last few years. He was there after Shane Doan had retired. And in the 2021 offseason, the Arizona Coyotes dealt him to Van- the Vancouver Canucks. He was, at the time, whenever the uh, they were looking to deal him, he would only waive his no-trade clause to go to Vancouver or Boston. So Vancouver stepped up to the plate, and they acquired Oliver Ekman Larson and um, Connor Garland in exchange for a bunch of bad contracts that were uh, going to be... That, that were going to expire the following year. Louis Erickson had one year left at $6 million. Jay Beagle had, I think, one year left at $3 million. And Antoine Roussel also one year at with $3 million. But they got the ninth overall pick. This is the Coyotes. They also received the ninth overall pick. 
in that draft, they received Vancouver's 2022 second round pick, which ended up being the 47th pick, as well as a 2023 seventh round pick, which will be picked next Wednesday or Thursday, pardon. Um, and that, that ninth overall pick ended up being Dylan Gunther, who's looks like a stud winger. He has represented Canada at a number of international, international tournaments, and he is just, he's phenomenal. So they got a great pl- uh, prospect there. 47th overall in 2022, the Coyotes got Hunter Haight or Haight, Haight. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but I don't know much about him. I've never heard that name before. Uh, and they got it for, and they also had to retain, obviously, a little bit on Oliver Ekman-Larsen. It was just a hair under a million dollars, 12% of that contract. And now Arizona will also be buying out a portion of that deal since it was retained. Um, and this buyout goes for eight more years. He had four years left on his deal, and buyouts double in length of the contract. So since there was four years left, there will be eight years left on the buyout. And the Vancouver Canucks, this is how the salary, it will cost them $2.1 million of money each year for the next eight years. So that's what the Vancouver Canucks owner, uh, Francesco Aquilini, will have to pay each of the next eight years. But the cap is what is the biggest, the most important part here. The cap hit for this buyout for Vancouver next year is just $146,000. Not too bad. They're saving a lot of money over his uh, 7.25 that he was making prior. But the following season after that, it is $2,300,000. Not great, but not terrible. The two seasons after that, so starting the 25-26 season and then 26-27 season, it's $4.766 million. And then the four following seasons after that, starting in 2027 28 and going to 2030 31 season, they'll have to pay $2.126 million in each of those four years in cap space. So this was a mistake. This was obviously a mistake on the behalf of the Vancouver Canucks and Jim Benning, who was the one who made this trade at the time. Now in charge is Patrick Alvine, former Penguin general man, uh, assistant general manager. And then uh, the president of Hockey Ops, Jim Rutherford for them, is the former Penguins GM. So they were left cleaning up the mess of Jim Benning. And Oliver ekman Larson's is now a free agent. Um, it does affect the Coyotes a little bit. They have to pay a, a few hundred thousand dollars each next eight years as well. But more importantly, because they don't care as much about the cap, um, they're going to have to have one less retention spot on there because you can only trade so much. Um, you can only trade uh, three, I think it is, retained spots, retained salary spots. So for the next eight years, it's now going to be one less spot. So they'll only be able to retain on two, which is significantly, uh, which is significant for them because you know they trade away a lot of good players once they get developed and become good. So if they wanted to do a Clayton Keller deal. Uh, which has been rumored this past week with St. Louis. If they wanted to retain on that, then until the duration of that deal, uh, his contract, they'll only have one spot left. So kind of sucks for them. But the point I'm trying to make here is that not as much about the Canucks or the Coyotes, but Oliver ekman Larson's a free agent, and he's a left-handed defenseman. He's 31 years old. His advanced analytics have not been great. If you look, I, uh, you know, there's many websites. One of my favorites for like more in depth numbers is uh, Money Puck. 
I really like the the work that they do there. In terms of time on ice amongst defensemen for the Canucks, OEL was fifth. So he was basically a bottom pairing defenseman. Um, he had 22 points, two goals, 20 assists last season. 12 of those were primary assists. Um, he started most of his... Uh, Shifts in the neutral zone. Uh, well, actually, on the fly, obviously. But whenever uh, they started uh, games, I guess they would start with a OEL. But he didn't start in the offensive zone very much. That was uh, Philip Pronick and Quinn Hughes's job more than anybody. But OEL is a very interesting case because people in the analytics community will tell you that back whenever he was in Arizona. He had a good couple years, but then was extremely overrated for the remainder of his time. And at the time of that contract, uh, not the contract, at the time of the trade, rather, to Vancouver, it looked as though it was going to be a terrible trade. And it ended up being so. It was it was a very bad trade for Vancouver. So bad that they had to end up buying him out. But I have... I there's part of me that thinks it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to, for the Penguins to take a flyer on this guy. He's still going to be making, you know, uh, a lot of money from this buyout. So does he necessarily need to go and chase a big long-term deal right now? I don't think he's even going to get it. I'm sure there are some teams that would be willing to throw it at him. But to me, I think OEL is going to take a short, like, one-year deal. And he's not going to require a big payday. I think you could get him for a million, two million, two and a half million dollars. And the Penguins, I'm assuming, are going to let Brian Dumoulin walk, who, by the way, I have a theory he's going to Vancouver himself because they need size on defense. And there's also the familiarity with Patrick Olveen and Jim Rutherford. But that's besides the point. Um, I could see Oliver ekman Larson taking a flyer with Pittsburgh. Problem is, is that whenever he was wanted to be traded or was being shopped, rather, uh, two years ago, he only wanted to go to either Vancouver or Boston. So my brain tells me he's probably going to sign a very, very team-friendly deal with Boston because they're going to need cheap players. They're up against the cap just as much, if not worse, than Vancouver is slash was. So I could definitely see him ending up in Boston. But if you're Pittsburgh, if you're Kyle Dubas, you've seen this guy for, uh, you know, play for years now. He has He's... 98 games away from a thousand so he just hit 900 uh, he's about a half a point a game in his career he is 439 which isn't bad he scored 55 points back in the 15 16 season he had 21 goals that was crazy uh the year before that he had 43 points but he had 23 goals and 20 assists you don't see many defensemen getting more goals than assists it's pretty wild the year before that he had 15 goals 29 assists 44 points he has a pedigree of being able to score uh defensively he's not the best that's evident that just by the way that the canucks uh, would use him i he's not fantastic and he's not the player he once was but there is an opening on the left side of the defense Pedersen played great last year i think po joseph played okay if you have OEL on your second slash third pair left side and you know you use him in certain situations, I think he could be okay with the Penguins. He's not a first-pairing defenseman anymore. He's not. So if you're looking for someone to take the uh, brunt of the minutes playing alongside of Latang, this isn't the guy you should be going after. 
But if you trust Pedersen to move up to that spot, and if you have enough trust in POJ, another uh, Arizona Coyote defensive draft pick, um, then maybe you consider this. I, like I said, I think it'd be cheap. There may be better options out there, but that's the thing with uh, this free agent crop. There's not a ton of great players available. So if you're looking for a top pair left-handed defenseman, there's only a few of them, one of them being Dmitry Orlov off the top. But um, he's going to demand a ton of money because he's the best and only one available right now. So that leads me to think maybe, just maybe, Dubis and company consider this. I don't know if it's the right idea. And if they sign him and he's terrible, you know, I, I don't get paid to make these decisions. I could be way off here. But I'm just floating the idea. I think it'd be a cheap option. It's a low risk option because I don't think you'd be giving him a ton of term. I don't I don't think you'd give him more than one year. Maybe you give him two or maybe you give him one and he bets on himself to bounce back and he gets a bigger deal next offseason. He's only 31. So he definitely has, you know, more time left in his career. He's definitely going to get to a thousand games. He's probably a top ten player all time in Coyotes history. It might be worth something. Might be worth a look at uh, there, but there was huge news that came out of Arizona that he actually was um, bought out. I didn't think that they'd actually buy him out. Did I say Arizona? I'm in Vancouver. Um, yeah, the, the news out of Vancouver that he was bought out was pretty wild because it is a, a substantial buyout. It's probably one of the biggest buyouts we've seen outside of uh, Minnesota with the Suter and Parise uh, buyouts. Um, yeah, so just something to chew on there for OEL, possibly, possibly becoming an option with Pittsburgh. Speaking of more Pittsburgh offseason news, Pierre Lebrun released an article on The Athletic earlier this week about the goaltending news and all the expected news with the goaltending carousel and the news in relation to Jari and the Penguins. He basically said that Dubas is still getting his, you know, footing with the Penguins organization. He's still, you know, figuring out things, meeting the meeting everybody. And there hasn't been much news between contact for the two sides of Jari and Dubas on a new contract the time is you know really running out here you know like i said there's 10 11 days until free agency starts the draft is next week a week from tomorrow it starts if the if dubis was serious about getting a deal done with jari and he was dead set on you know locking him up to the to be the goalie next season um, like right now before he can even hit the open market i think he would have done that already so part of me thinks he's done his, you know, thinking he's done his due diligence, excuse me. And it very well could just end up being that Tristan Jari hits the open market. Doesn't mean they don't circle back to him at some point. But I think Kyle Dubas is going to hit July 1st without a starting goalie. I truly do. Unless a deal is made at the draft for a Hellebuck or a Swayman, which... I'm hopeful for, but I'm not expecting. Like, I would really like it to happen, but I'm not saying it's going to by any means. So, at this juncture, you know, just 10 days away, I would expect Tristan Jari to hit the open market. And I, I would expect it to become a moment where Casey DeSmith is the only goalie in the depth chart for the Penguins. Unless something significant changes. Obviously, DeSmith isn't going to be the starter next season, but I do expect Dubas to take his time with this, and he's not going to rush a negotiation. Inevitably, I think the, at this point, 
the likelihood is that he signs one of he's going to I think no matter what goalie he signs in free agency let it be Jari or Ranta uh Ranta, yeah Anthony Ranta Anderson maybe someone like that I think it's going to be to a one or two year deal no matter who it is I know Jari uh it was reported before that Jari wanted term I don't expect that to become to be coming from Pittsburgh I just don't, especially now that Dubas is taking his time, not rushing to negotiations. If he wanted him locked up, you would have heard more about it by now. You know, uh, Dubas isn't one of these Lou Lamorello guys that keeps a tight lid on the ship. Things do leak out of Kyle Dubas front offices. And uh, this just wasn't, this just, it just seems like this isn't happening. So don't be surprised there if Tristan Jari is not a Penguin come July 1st. I'm going to take a quick break, and I'll be right back with more Penguins news and news from around the league and other things. We'll be right back. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can make a $5 bet and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after assurance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash hockey terms. Welcome back. News this morning out of Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, slash Pittsburgh, slash whatever. Uh, Valtteri Pustinen, I believe that's how you pronounce it, was signed to a one-year deal by Kyle Dubas. I believe this is the first signing of Kyle Dubas's tenure in Pittsburgh. I want to check that. So give me one moment here to make sure that I'm not wrong on that one. Yes, this was Kyle Dubas's first signing as Penguins general manager slash president, whatever. Um, like I said, he's interim GM. He's not going to be the GM, I don't think. I think they're going to bring a different guy in. But besides the point, uh, Valtteri Pustinen. Pustinen, very fun name to say. Um, he has been in Wilkes-Barre for the last two seasons. After coming over from Finland, he was drafted in the seventh round of the 2019 NHL draft. One of the higher ceiling prospects, prospects in quotes, that the Penguins have. He is currently 24. So yeah, maybe not much of a prospect anymore. Uh, he's 5'9", 179. He's been a Point producer down in Wilkes-Barre. I think uh, he, I believe he ended with the most points on the team this year. It would have been Alex Nylander if he hadn't been called up. But he scored 59 points in 72 games with Wilkes-Barre. Was there the entire season. 24 goals, 35 assists. Uh, and the year before, he played one game in Pittsburgh. And he got an assist in that game as well as uh, he was a plus two uh, but uh, after the, uh, you know that aside, he played 73 games with with Wilkes-Barre, uh, 20 goals, 22 assists, 42 points last season, including three points in six playoff games for the Baby Penguins. So just keeping uh, some of the good younger players around in the organization. At one point, I thought this guy had NHL potential. 
I'm not ready to give up on him yet, but 24, I mean, it's basically make it or break it. I could still see him being one of the guys that if injuries occur at the NHL level, they could bring up or send down, um, you know, pretty easily. I, I don't know. I'm assuming this is a two year, a two way deal. Excuse me. It's a one year deal. I'm assuming it's a two way deal, but it hasn't been confirmed yet. The Penguins did announce the signing this morning, but didn't provide which, you know, type of contract it was. They did provide that it was one year and they did provide that it was $775,000. So yeah, Dubas making uh, some clean work there for his first contract as Penguins liaison. I don't know what you're going to call it. President. President of hockey operations. We'll call him that. An interim general manager. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Next thing I want to talk about is some more around the league NHL news. Alex Debrinkit, who is the longtime, uh, he was a Chicago Blackhawks sniper. He got traded at last year's draft to the Ottawa Senators in a pretty big deal. He's still a pending RFA after his one season in Ottawa, where he scored 27 goals, he's got 66 points. Um, he is not probably going to re-sign in Ottawa from the sounds of it. And he just uh, recently, I think it was earlier today, the report came out that it sounds the, as though he wants to go to one of the no-income tax, in, no tax states. I believe his listed teams were Vegas, Florida, Nashville, Dallas... I think Detroit was on there too because I think he's from the Detroit area. But aside from aside from that, the rest of the teams that he is willing to go to sound oddly similar to the teams that uh, Matthew Kachuk was interested in going to last offseason whenever he was an unsigned RFA and needed a new deal. DeBrincat is a small sniper. He is 5'7", 165. He was drafted back in 2016. He is 25 years old. And yes, he's from Farmington Hills, Michigan. So yeah, he is a Michigan boy. That's why Detroit was on the list of teams he's willing to go to. Uh, Florida, I don't know how they'd make it work, especially because from the sounds of it from people I've heard, I know Jeff Merrick was big on this. It sounds like they want to go hard after Eric Carlson. I don't know if San Jose would help retain to make that trade possible, but if you acquire Eric Carlson in offseason, um, you're not going to have much other cap space to use. So I don't see him being able to go to Florida if Carlson specifically happens. Um, Nashville, that's an interest. I understand for the tax reasons why he'd want to go there, but Nashville isn't particularly on the up. They're a very mid-mediocre team right now. But having him on it would definitely help boost that offense. Vegas never seems to have a salary cap. Uh, so uh, if they could make that work, that'd be hilarious. But again, I don't see it happening. Dallas is an interesting case. Uh, he'd go back to the Central Division where he played with Chicago for all those years. They have a lot of really good young forwards, but I don't think they have anyone that possesses a, uh, you know, a, such a unique, he's such a unique player. To bring it. So I, I think he'd be very interesting. I don't think they have a right winger that uh, possesses that shot. I know Jason Robertson's a really good left winger and he can score a boatload of goals. I know they played uh, Pavelski on the right side a little bit, but he's more of a tip guy, you know, net front presence. I think uh, Debrinkit would really add to a really good young forward core if they'd be able to lock him up long term. Uh, but I'm not sure how possible that would be because they're going to have to pay a lot of their young guys too. I know uh, they signed Roberts into a pretty team-friendly deal, but there's going to be some other contracts that come due in Dallas. 
I think the most likely is probably his hometown team of Detroit. They are definitely in need of a guy like him who can put up big goals, uh, you know, just score with ease, you know, is like the kind of player that you're looking for. And that's what Dabrinka can do. Uh, doesn't need to necessarily, you know, fight for every goal. He can just from distance kind of just rip it and get you some easy goals that way. Detroit hasn't had a goal scorer like him in a very long time. I think he'd be a welcome addition there. I just don't know what Ottawa's appetite is to send him to a division rival. You know, you, when, you don't, when you think of rivalries, you don't necessarily think of Ottawa and Detroit, but they are in the same division. And how often are you going to want to see Alex Dabrinkit? Uh, you know, they paid a ton to get him, and then they're going to have to sell him probably for less than what they got him for uh, because they're kind of, you know, they're kind of pressured here in the situation. They kind of need to get a deal done. Um, so inter- it's interesting, but I, Detroit, I think, makes the most sense to me. Um, or I say Detroit and Dallas, but I, like I said, I don't know what Ottawa, Pierre Dorian, or whoever the GM ends up being after this team gets sold because I think they, the, the sale. Uh, basically became official last week that uh, Michael Andlauer, former my, or I guess current minority owner of the Montreal Canadiens, is going to sell his stake and buy the majority stake of the Ottawa Senators. It sounds like he's going to want to bring his own people in. The rumor was Steve Steos, who was an assistant in Edmonton and a former player. Uh, it sounds like he's probably going to get the GM job in Ottawa once the sale's done. So does Pierre Dorian really want to make this one of his final deals or one of his last ditch efforts to keep the job? I don't know, but he's definitely up against the wall right now. And I'm really interested to see how that ends for him and his Ottawa senators for the moment. Like I said, though, his job uh, may not be there for very long. Uh, Next thing I'd like to talk about, there's two more things I want to talk about. Then I'll wrap up, try to make it a little quicker of an episode today. I just wrote an article, it's not been uploaded yet, also to Pro Sports Fanatics about depth forward options for the Penguins that they should consider in free agency. Like I said, free agency, not too long in the in the future here. Uh, and there's a list of guys I went over and I used, uh, it's AFP Analytics who projected all of these players' contracts. I used the projected contracts to you know consider whether or not Penguins should sign them or not. The list of forwards I came up with and their age slash contracts are as followed left wing max pacioretty 34 uh, the projected contract for him was one year at 1.5 million dollars alex kerfoot center uh, 28 years old the projected contract for him is the same as the deal he's on now which is four years 3.5 million dollars per jonathan Drouin, center 28 years old projected contract was one year at two million dollars Left wing James Van Riemsdyk, 34, projected contract one year at 1.8 million AAV. And the last one was center David Kempf, who's 28, projected contract was two years at 1.8 million AAV. Originally, instead of Kerfoot, I actually had Sean Monahan on this list. But just this morning, Sean Monahan re-signed with Montreal for just a hair under $2 million at one year. I think that's what the projected was about. I think it was one year, 2 million or 1.8, something like that. So that turned out to be right. It just, you know, I had to take him off because he's not a Penguin or uh, isn't available for the Penguins anymore. He has, he signed with, re-signed with Montreal after they acquired him last year, along with a first round pick from Calgary. Uh, Pacioretty, 
he's going to be injured for to start the season after his second uh, you know consecutive Achilles tear because of those two injuries that he had on his Achilles he only played five games for Carolina this year after being dealt from Montreal it's not from Montreal sorry from Vegas um, for free essentially he got uh, three goals in that five game stretch but he averages about 60 points a season around, around he scored 30 goals six separate seasons he's older and he's going to be on a prove it deal just to you know prove that he still has it after those injuries. I think he'd be a great third line left wing for this team, a great second unit power play option. I'd really love to have him on the Penguins for the cheap. Alex Kerfoot, I'm not the biggest fan of, but it just makes sense because of the Dubas connection. I could totally see that happening. He was obviously acquired from Colorado in the Tyson Berry Nazem Kadri trade. Dubas essentially uh, gave up a second round pick to get Jared McCann. And use Jared McCann as bait to keep uh, for for Seattle to take in order to protect Alex Kerfoot without actually protecting him in the Seattle Kraken expansion draft. So he gave up a second round pick to keep Kerfoot. That's if you want to look at it that way. So he obviously values Kerfoot pretty highly. He's only scored fifty points once, but that was uh, two seasons ago in the twenty one twenty two season. He was the captain for Harvard University his senior year where he played uh, four seasons there. Um, he's a versatile middle six forward. He can play all three forward positions. He can play all special teams, power play, penalty kill, whatever you need him to do. But in the way, the way I made it sound in the, uh, in my article is he's the jack of all trades, but he's the master of none. He's not particularly special. He's just able to kind of do whatever you need him to do, uh, you know, for better, for worse. But uh, I, I could see him becoming a penguin. I could definitely see Dubas bringing him back uh, to you know play under him. Four years, I don't like at all. Three point five, I don't hate. I prefer it to be around two and a half to three. But three point five is okay. It's the four years I don't like. I could totally see him being a third slash second line you know guy like like I said, middle six forward who can play any of those positions in, when needed. Uh, but four years, you shouldn't be giving him four years to that to a guy like that of his tier. It just doesn't make sense to me. I'd give him two to three, maybe. Would not give a guy of that caliber four years. Jonathan Druin, a 28-year-old, uh, he was third overall pick in the 2013 draft behind Barkov and McKinnon. So those guys are doing well. Druin, you know, has had his warts. He was great in juniors with the Halifax Mooseheads. His career high in the NHL, however, is just 53 points. He's done that twice, however. He was dealt to Montreal from Tampa for Mikhail Sergachev. So he's kind of been living in the shadow of Mikhail Sergachev, um, who's you know been a cornerstone of their cup runs up, down in uh, Tampa. Duran is, is he, he's similar as I can see him being a third-line scoring option who can play that second power play unit. Uh, he can play both left wing and center, so he's versatile in that. And he doesn't have a lot of playoff experience because he's been with Montreal for majority of his career. And if you exclude his playoff numbers from his rookie year, which, you know, I'll forgive anyone for being a rookie in the playoffs. That's not easy. He has 21 points in 27 playoff games, which is better than his regular season pace. So that's an option I'd definitely consider if I was the Penguins. And a one-year, $2 million deal, I'd totally get on that. That's a big haircut from what he was making before. I think it was 5.5 he was making before. Uh, so $2 million for him is a bargain. I would take that deal. Another bargain I was looking at was James Van Riemsdyk. Uh, he's been a left winger for 
Philadelphia for a long time. He was drafted there, then was dealt to Toronto for a few years, and then eventually signed back in Philly. So the Penguins have seen a lot of him uh, being in the Eastern Conference with him being in Toronto, but also in the division with Philadelphia for so long. He is a good net front presence guy. He's kind of a Joe Pavelski type, but uh, left-handed. He's put up some great offensive numbers through his career. He's 34, so there's some signs of decline there. But he has 720 goal seasons um, in his career, which is pretty amazing. Most recent one coming two seasons ago, on the 21-22 season, he scored 24 goals with a really bad Philadelphia Flyers team. He's also pretty big. He's 6'3", which automatically would make him, I think, a sec- the second or third tallest forward on the team. Um, and he'd be great on the second power play unit to kind of jam home some of those uh, you know, perimeter shots. I wouldn't mind having him there at all, especially for that number. He's not very fast, He's uh, any- especially anymore. He's you know obviously, like I said, 34 now. But I wouldn't hate seeing him uh, on the Penguins in a Penguins jersey. He's uh, a good player, good offensively-minded player for the price. The fifth person I listed was David Camp, who is different from the other four. He is not very offensively inclined. He's very much more a defensively, you know, minded, excuse me, center. He, I think, would uh, permanently take over the fourth line center as long as Jeff Carter isn't taking that spot. He would permanently take over that fourth line center spot that Teddy Bluger left open whenever he was traded. Play a lot of penalty kill, have a lot of defensive zone starts. He's good on the faceoffs. He was a pretty solid piece for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And obviously there's the Toronto connection, like Kerfoot, with Dubas. So I could totally see Dubas looking to bring him back again as well. Some honorable mentions I I, uh, I mentioned were if some of those scoring guys aren't available. Uh, Evgeny Dodonov, uh, I think is how you pronounce it. He played with a number of teams, Florida, Ottawa, Vegas. Uh, he's a proven scorer i think he got dealt to dallas at the uh, deadline uh, gus nyquist is another one uh those are not my preferred i prefer the guys i listed pre- previously but those are two guys that if you uh miss out on those other ones they're not terrible options if you're looking for a david camp alternative a more defensively minded uh, fourth line center the guy who jumped out at me was oscar sungvist former penguin he uh played more most recently for the red wings and the blues he helped the blues win their first stanley cup uh, with their bottom six, he was uh, centering a line down there, and he is pretty much the quintessential fourth line center who can play PK, who could play defensive zone starts. I think he's a little on the bigger side too. I think he's six two, six three, something like that, um, and he's familiar with the organization, which obviously does not hurt. So yeah, please go check that out. I basically gave away everything I just wrote on the podcast, but uh, go check that out. Uh, on pro sports fanatics it is depth forward options the penguins should consider signing a free agency it was uploaded yesterday on june 19th i'm very happy with or it hasn't been uploaded yet i'm sorry i wrote it it's going to be up probably later today once it gets edited and reviewed Um, probably by the time this is uploaded honestly this podcast it will probably be there now we're at the 50 minute mark and there's only one more thing left for me to uh to say or to talk about like i said Drafts coming up. There's going to be a lot of good players available at that pick, at that 14th overall that the Penguins have. If you, another shameless plug, I wrote a mock, a mock draft last Wednesday on Pro Sports Fanatics. It called 2023 NHL mock uh, first round mock draft for the top 16 picks. I couldn't do the entire first round because that would have taken me forever. But the first 16 picks, I have uh, my projected pick as well as an explanation on who the player is and why I think they fit there. And 
I picked for the Penguins, uh, Czech forward Edward Sale. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, he is a very, very slick, skilled forward. I could totally see him going top five in most other drafts, but this guy I think is going to fall a little bit because of how many uh, you know pl- skilled players there are in this draft. Um, and even if it's not him, there's a lot of forwards, especially that I could see at that 14th pick that Dubis would uh, really like to have. But we talked about it before. I would not be surprised if Dubis trades back because there's so many good players around that area. If there's someone in the you know early 20s that you can also get maybe a second or third from, and you can move back and still get the player that you wanted. could totally see Dubas trading that pick. But 14th overall, Sale, I believe is how you pronounce it. It's it's a Czech name. It's it's spelled Sale, but I I, uh, I watched some videos on it, and some people pronounce it differently. Uh, he's a great player. He's almost like Datsuki in hands from Pavel Datsuk. It's crazy how skilled this guy is. Um I'm not going to give away my entire mock draft, but uh, obviously I had Bedard going first. But between the Fantilli-Carlson debate for second overall, I think people are thinking way too much about it. It's Adam Fantilli, and I have him going to Anaheim and then Carlson going to Columbus. But the rest of the mock draft can be found on Pro Sports Fanatics on my article there. And yeah, um, I made some some leaps, but I don't think too many uh, that many people would be crazy upset about. Uh, or surprised about Mitchkoff. That situation, I think, is very, very interesting. And I look forward to seeing what ends up happening with him and the rest of the draft. Because, like I said, we're just a week and a day from that. And I'm sure in this next week, we will find out some more stuff about what, you know, I'm sure there's going to be moves in the next week. There will be moves with picks, but also moves with players. I keep an eye on the Debrinkit situation. Uh, all those guys in Winnipeg, you know, Dubois, uh, Hellebuck, Wheeler, maybe Shifley, one of those guys could get dealt. There's a lot of crazy things that are bound to happen over this next week. The buyout window is still open, I think, until the draft or maybe a little uh, after that. Um, Mikhail Granlund has not been bought out yet from the Penguins. I'm very interested to see what Kyle Dubas is, uh, excuse me, what Kyle Dubas does there. Arizona has some uh, roster spots opened up now, so maybe they could uh, go there because they bought out uh, Patrick Nemeth and Zach Cassian earlier today. So maybe they're opening up some roster spots to bring on some more bad contracts. I don't know, but I I would look and consider maybe uh, that could be an option for Dubas. Uh, but yeah, very, very busy week ahead. I'm sure by next week's episode, we'll have a lot more to talk about but that is going to be all for today. Can't believe I got 53 minutes out of all the con- all of that content. Not too shabby. Um, but yeah, I will see you guys next week. Hopefully Monday. But if not, I'll do another Tuesday episode. And I'm looking forward to following along on all what happens this week. It's going to be exciting. I'll see you guys next week.